It's a busy week around the Ingoal Radio Podcast Studio and Ingoal Magazine. We have webinars and we have podcasts, and it's uh, almost going on a daily basis the way that we're cranking out content. Darren Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingoal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley, uh, fresh off our webinar with Carrie Price, and uh, want to talk about what's coming up uh, later on this weekend. Uh, plus, uh, talk about our feature interview today, which will include a conversation with Devin McConnell, who is the Director of Performance Science and Reconditioning with the New Jersey Devils. It's a long title. It's an extensive interview, and it is jam-packed full of all kinds of golden nuggets, as uh, we, uh, we'll tee them up in just a little bit. Uh, one involving using more than two goaltenders in practice and the benefit to that. Yes, there is a benefit, and and we all know everybody wants as many shots as possible, but but just a little bit of a tidbit there. Uh, Hutch and Woody, uh, congratulations. Uh, the webinar with Carrie Price and Eli Wilson, Eli Wilson Goaltending Clinics, uh, was a, a massive success. And uh, what did you guys, uh, Hutch, I'll start with you, take away from the conversation with Carrie on last weekend? Well, I'm super glad we had you in the driver's seat, Darren. So thank you for the professionalism <laughs> that you uh you added to all that. I'm not sure where Woody and I would have been if we had to handle that ourselves. Uh, it was a it was a fantastic um, it was a fantastic experience. What I really enjoyed about it was that even though we knew there was an audience of 500 or so people watching, we did get to see a bit of the carry that we see in the summer. That relaxed, comfortable, happy to be around young people guy that was just sharing who he really is and. I think some of that guard was taken down that you often see when when most of us really only get to see him in those sort of post-game media scrums. And uh, I don't know how much of that was on air during the webinar and how much of that was beforehand when he was uh, very chill with, with all of us. Um, but just great to be able to share that with everybody. Because even though we weren't in a room together, uh, I think everybody did get the experience of of being with Carrie to some extent. And and it was great to see on social. Thank you to everybody who shared uh, some photos with us through Instagram, Twitter, wherever of of their young goaltenders um, online with Carrie. What a what a cool opportunity for all these guys. Yeah, I mean, I think to me that was that was the best part was that feedback we got af- afterwards, and I thought it was summed up perfectly when those parents sent us those pictures of their you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old. Uh, son or daughter, their young goaltender in their life, sitting at a table, looking at a computer screen, and Carrie Price is looking back at them, having a conversation. And there was, and I, I wish I had the 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 Instagram post in front of me. There was a mom that you know sent us a note, basically saying that like he's gonna have to snap back to reality here because he thinks he's just hanging out with his buddy Carrie and having a conversation, <laughs> and that this is normal. And so to be able to 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 do that for these kids got a lot of feedback from parents uh, on emails afterwards talking about the exact same thing that Hutch just mentioned about how much they 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 felt they got to see of who Carrie was compared to the post game uh you know Q&A sessions w- with the media like they just felt like they got to see the real Carrie Price and and the, and like Hutch said that's what we get to see every year at the Eli Wilson thing especially around kids he's so good so gracious with his time. Uh, I wish we'd uh, sort of rolled out a little longer Q&A and a little less of the of the video just because the Q&A was so good uh, with you running it, Darren. So maybe for next time. But yeah, just thanks to him. Thanks to to Eli Wilson and, and thanks to all the people that signed up. I mean, we got to the Max 500 pretty quick. 
um you know and 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 you know maybe next time we even expand it beyond that the next time we get we get a name like that although there there aren't many names like that so yeah just i was excited and to see that excitement come back on social media afterwards and in the messages from parents um it was it was pretty cool to see this community growing and there was a, a tactical uh, strategic uh, element to it as well uh, as as far as Eli and Carrie approached drills, uh, working together and, and game situations, one of them was behind the net uh, uh, coverage, uh, where Carrie creates this window for himself so he can look behind the net. Uh, that was a great uh, bit of terminology. Uh, the other one was uh, was how Carrie reacts to like the reality is you're going to allow goals and how he responds to that in his post goal uh, situation. And the guy likes fishing. <laughs> He, he likes you fishing th- you a think, lot. Eh? I think he got a real glimpse of why Eli and Carrie enjoy working together because they are that very similar soft-spoken, just get to the point, uh, very relaxed personalities. Eli's coaching on the ice when he's working uh, with his top-level, well, all goaltenders is, um, you know, it fits the way Carrie was describing some of the things that he was doing because it's very short, very to the point. Here's what you need to do. Let's get to work. And, and Carrie's kind of the same. Just tell me what you want me to do. And he does it. And, and I know Eli's told us before that when they are working on the ice, um, there really isn't a whole ton of back and forth between the two of them. Carrie's just, what do you want me to do? All right, I got it. And he does it. Um, so his approach to working is sort of no nonsense, but also keep it simple. And, and Eli is all about keeping it simple as well. Um, and it's fun to watch Carrie in that too, because I remember one of the years Eli was trying to teach um, a method of getting up out of the reverse and, and getting onto your feet to take a shot, um, you know, sort of top of crease. And Carrie's got one way of doing it, and Eli's got a slightly different way of doing it. And, and Carrie said, oh, um, so is this what you want me to do? And then, of course, executes it flawlessly, having never done it that way in his life. And Eli just started laughing. Yeah, yeah, Carrie, that's exactly what I want you to do. Um, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch the two of them work together. And I think maybe you got a bit of a feel for that. And of course, that was one of the takeaways when we did get into some of the video, just watching Carrie, you know, talk about Darren behind the net plays and the drills he was doing with Eli and how they translated into games and a couple of nice clips of sort of behind the net pass outs and shots and just how much more Carrie recovers to his feet now off that coming off his posts on the low play and then just getting out on, especially if the puck moves up you know, anywhere past sort of the, the top of the circles. And, um, you know, he, he, Carrie mentioned that, right? Like that's something we've actually been working on. And, um, you know, I didn't recognize it as something that had changed in his game, just something I noticed in the clips. And sure enough, he said that that has been a big part of, uh, you know, part of his evolution. So it was cool to get a little window into that. Um, but I still think for the most part, like as much as the takeaways on the technical side, I still think for a lot, especially the young kids, just to get to see him in that element that we see him in every year at the, at the Eli Wilson day with price um, is, is it's pretty special and to be able to do it for that many people um, made it even more special. So yeah, a good weekend, uh, a good weekend all around. Just paraphrasing, but uh, he talked about the, the strategy behind the net and then the pass out front and how he handles that uh, uh, from a, uh, just a, a technical standpoint and, and tactically to, to approach the shooter and then he drops in and then from from then on it's to paraphrase desperation and uh and and i thought well isn't that great that 
The, he doesn't. He's not trying to tell everybody that he's got all the answers. It's I've got my plan. I've got I've got my way I handle it. I go into it, and then when things go outside that that realm, you kind of just you 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 rely on your instincts and your your physical abilities. I thought that was neat. Uh, as and well. the other one was uh, we are not going to be selling any uh, juggling books, juggling trills, no, or no. mental game trills uh, based on the advice of Carrie. And I I just think that goes to show you like that's. He is so cut out for this position, mindset wise, and and to play in Montreal that market. Absolutely, you yeah. got to see that, and that doesn't mean, and he'll be the first one to say it. Doesn't mean that's for every goaltender. Um, there are some that you know want to be working on the hand and the eye and doing all those drills. Um, not everybody can just step on the ice and have the confidence that Kerry brings with him. Some some people need to do different things to warm up, and some people need to do different mental preparation. Um, but it was interesting to hear him talk about like how he just does not let him get himself get overwhelmed or cluttered mentally by worrying about too much of those things. He just has such faith in himself that when he goes out there, all he needs to do is be able to see that puck, and that's all that's all he needs in warm ups. Just. I just need real shots, right? That's pretty much what he said, and right. I'm good to go. So if you missed it and you're listening right now and you're saying, boy, that sounds like a lot of information and uh, some great information and uh, cool stuff between Eli Wilson and Carey Price, uh, the good news is you can uh, still get an opportunity to take in that webinar, albeit uh, not live. Uh, how do they do that, uh, Woody? And uh, and let's uh, drive them to yeah, the website. Yeah, in, ingoalmag.com, Ingoal Premium uh, membership will get you full access to that. Um, obviously, we've been running it now since December. What are we at, Hutch? Like, got to be closing in on 120 articles up there in the in the five yeah, months that we've been running? Yeah, I think that that's, it's, you're probably in the right neighborhood. Um, huge variety, obviously. 20-some-odd pro reads, 15 to 17 drills, and, and similar number of tips. Uh, you get access to the feature interviews from this podcast without having to listen to the three of us. Uh, there's all sorts of great advantages to uh, being an Incole Premium member. But seriously, if you do want to check out that webinar and you go there, um, another little benefit is the the video sharing was a bit of a struggle, let's be honest, on the weekend. Um, so even if you were with us already for that webinar, you might want to go back because we have a much smoother version of all the video that, that Carrie was going over. And uh, and guaranteed you're going to learn something if you go watch it again anyway yeah and credit to hutch there for doing the work rather than just reposting the zoom video and and which as he said uh, there were some issues with the the video that carrie and everyone was watching was a little bit choppy um hutch spent the time to to transfer in the video that i had from the source video as the guy doing the screen sharing and it's much smoother so I'm much easier easier on the eyes and you can you can probably sort of follow along a little better. So I'd, I'd, even if you're, as Hutch said, if, even if you were on the call, I'd recommend going going back and checking that out. And of course, in Gold Premium, uh, it's 50 bucks for the year Canadian, which is like two nickels in the States, uh, pretty much less than a buck a week, uh, less than the cost of a skate sharpening. Six bucks a month if you want to go monthly. Uh, obviously, this is a little shill on my part, but I'd highly recommend it. Uh, and so would a lot of professional goaltenders. We've got a nice note today. Um, Brandon Maxwell, uh, who is playing over, not to, I, I shouldn't do this on the spot. I probably should have asked if I could do this, but we got a nice note from him. Um, he's playing over uh, in the Austrian league or he was playing over in the Austrian league this year. Um, just basically saying it's to paraphrase a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you subscribe? He had, he's, he's one of our, our newest pro goaltender subscribers. And you know, that brings the list. I think we have like 
Oh yeah, counting on the air is always a really good idea. But a quick scan, we've got 15 or 16 NHL goalie coaches, another 11 in the American Hockey League, uh, dozens in the NCAA CHL, Europe, another dozen in Europe. And then, you know, with, with Brandon hopping on board in terms of professional goalies, I'm just quick counting. This is really good counting on the air. We're, we're now... just impressed you can count, Woody. Ha, ha, ha. We're, we're actually over 30 professional goaltenders now subscribed to InGoal Premium. So to me, that, that, that says a lot um, uh, about the type of content that's on there. And that's not a backpat on our part. It's because we have so many coaches and goaltenders that have been so willing to share drills and ideas and tips with us so that we can bring that to our 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 audience whether it's kids or other professional goaltenders they're clearly finding value in it and the carry price webinar is just just one more cherry on cherry on top and we've got more webinars coming and, up right uh, hutch uh, we'll have two uh, those professional goaltending coaches uh, coming up uh, this weekend in a webinar Paul Schoenfelder, Andy Kyoto on Saturday. Do you want to just take us uh, through what's going to happen on Absolutely. Saturday? Absolutely. Kevin was just saying uh, that Brandon's playing in the Austrian League, and I believe it was uh, when Andy Kyoto was playing in Austria that I first met him at an Eli Wilson camp. So it's all coming full circle here. Uh, Eli's so soft-spoken that I asked him what he was doing one morning, and he just said, oh, I got a private this morning. And uh, I happened to be at the rink, so I said, well, I'll come out and take a few photos. And skated onto the ice, and there's a private lesson between uh, Eli with Andy Kyoto and Nett and uh, some friend of his named Jason Spezza shooting. Um, so a lot of fun to get out for that. And afterwards, Andy and I struck up a bit of a conversation and have been friends ever since. And he is uh, truly one of the most knowledgeable coaches that I've ever been on the ice with. He's got a, a, a unique and very technical approach to the position and yet very holistic at the same time. Um, and he's worked with some guys like, uh, well, like Jordan Bennington, he was starting to work with, uh, when we first met Andy and when we first went out on the ice with the two of them and has obviously played a big role in Jordan's rise and, uh, Malcolm Subban, another goaltender he spends quite a bit of time with and, and, and quite a few others. So we really enjoy our time with him. And then he's a good friend with Paul Schoenfelder in Carolina, Woody. Yeah, and Paul's a guy that I got to know uh, working um, just as a kind of a video scrub at the Hockey Canada POE camp. Uh, Paul was one of the coaches there, what was that, two or three summers ago, first time I met him. I knew him through uh, Elias Rassi in Ottawa, a guy who'd done some work for us, uh, one, of my, one of my favorites uh, as, a, as a young coach, um, had done some writing for us at Ingle over the years. And so I knew of Paul through uh, Eli, and when I got to meet him, like uh, just a great guy. He's now working for the Carolina Hurricanes um, as as their goalie development coach. He's won gold medals with Hockey Canada at under seventeen and under eighteen. Of course, he is the defending still um, two thousand and nineteen American Hockey League Calder Cup champion uh, Charlotte Checkers. He was the goalie coach there, working with. Uh, Alex Nedelkovich. I hope I said that right because I screw I names up. Like, I, I, well hey, done. Hey, nailed it. Yeah. Hey, I should have I just kept going like confidently. So we have two, bro, two pro goaltending coaches this weekend brought to us by two completely different Eli goaltending coaches. And uh, part, of, part of the vision that we had for this was that the two of them might get the opportunity to engage in a little bit of professional discussion around topics that they're interested in so that we can mm -hmm. be flies on the wall while they have that professional chat. Um, but then we will open it up for, for a Q&A session um, for all of our, our viewers as well. 
look forward to it. To Andy Kyoto, the uh, goaltending development coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Paul Schoenfelder, goaltender development coach for the Carolina Hurricanes, joining us on the webinar on Saturday. What time is that if people want to sign up and take it in live? Saturday is at uh, noon Pacific, and that's 3 o'clock Eastern. And if you're an Ingle member currently, you should have received an email from us on Tuesday with a link where you can go and sign up. And uh, also, you could go to our website now, and there'll be a little post on there similar to when we had Carrie, and you can uh, register yourself there. It is a pre-register event. You can't just sort of drop in with the link. I uh, encourage you to do that soon so you get familiar with the interface. And after you sign up, one thing we did notice with the carry day, folks, um, you should get an email pretty much right away from Zoom indicating that you have been accepted into the webinar. And if you don't, then you do need to get in touch with us just so that we can sort that out. Right, Kevin? Is that? Yeah, no. And uh, the other note is we we had some people, not not everyone that didn't get in on the carry day, uh, but we did have some people that got their pre-registration and then at the time of the event actually went to our website. And we had put a note up once the pre-registration was full saying it was saying the event was full just so we didn't have people trying to get in uh, after it had filled up or maybe even subscribing to get in and it was full. The people that had pre-registered saw that as a sign they couldn't get in and what they need to do, what you need to do is make sure you hold on to that email with the Zoom link in it because that's what you click. Don't go to ingolmag.com. It'll be on the Zoom link. So, um. Don't throw yeah, it out. we have barely even mentioned this new uh, webinar with Paul and Andy, and we're already uh, up up around seventy five uh, guests registered, pre registered to attend. So, um, so yeah, they're in demand. It's it's popular. It's going to be a great time. We should be well over a hundred people. Make sure you uh, make sure you get pre registered. Check out the links on ingolmag.com. Looking forward to it uh, from a, a technical side, uh, from a, a tactical and strategy side of uh, playing goal. That will be a big part of the uh, Paul and Andy webinar. Today's feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, involves more of the uh, the preparation and the recovery. And in between, uh, making sure that you're ready to put uh, your skills uh, on display in the best fashion possible. Devin McConnell is the Director of Performance Science and Reconditioning with the New Jersey Devils. Uh, it's uh, an extended interview, but it's so fascinating, the stuff that uh, Hutch and uh, Devin get into. Oh, we'll go around the horn here just so people can uh, kind of grab onto a couple of different things. But for me, it was uh, using more than two goaltenders in practice does have a benefit. Uh, we all know sharing the net is difficult, but uh, but Hutch and, and Devin talk about four goaltenders in practice. You could you could get the most out of everything for both shooters and uh, and your number one goaltender. Absolutely, like if you're a parent, if you're a goalie coach, if you're a head coach, you should listen to that part of the interview. Make sure you stick around; it's towards the end um, because it isn't just hey, practice isn't good for goaltenders. It is science behind why the way we run a lot of practices just frankly isn't good for your goaltenders, in particular, your starting goaltenders. Now, practice dummies, though. Uh, I, I want to mention that uh, that uh, we're not referring to anybody in particular other than maybe poking fun of ourselves when we say four goaltenders out there and a couple of practice yeah. dummies. <laughs> to, to be fair to Devin, he didn't completely take take the, uh, the bait when I asked that question because he did say, we do understand as goaltenders that there are other reasons for right. practice, there's other needs, and so on. 
I, I set him up when I said, you know, in an absolutely perfect world where we couldn't care less about the shooters on the ice, even though we know we have to, yeah. what would you do? So, um, so it was good of him to expound on all that for us. Uh, for me, that is uh, the piece that stuck. And the piece out of that that stuck for me was not that it was okay to have three or four goaltenders on the ice, but that he wouldn't use them equally. And and quite often we struggle when we see three or four on the ice because there's a rotation and it just feels like you're getting fewer reps than you should. But he would very intentionally have a goaltender there to take certain reps, and then he would, and we're not going to give that all away just now. You can you can hear it, but and then your starter and your backup would have a different role in practice. So that was fascinating to me. I think it's worth mentioning, guys, that um, the reason we bumped into Devin and got him onto the podcast is. We get an email every time somebody subscribes and sometimes you have time to see who it's coming from. And I happen to see that New Jersey Devils email address. And of course the years perk up and, and I did a little research and saw that uh, exactly what Devin does. My background is sports science a thousand years ago. So I was fascinated and, and, uh, and reached out to him and we had a little conversation going. Devin was, is a goaltender and uh and himself remains fascinated by the position and that's why he subscribed and uh so we had a fantastic conversation and he he jumped at the opportunity to come on the show with us and actually we've even talked about him uh providing a bit of content for our members as well cuz uh one thing that he did talk about in this podcast interview was um the specific routine that his goaltenders go through before practice in the mornings and uh yeah very and, cool yeah, very cool and you know I'm glad that I asked him how long it took because as he started to mention each of these things, I was picturing sort of spending two hours in the gym in the morning getting ready to go on the ice. And it's not that at all. It's a it's a very involved routine, but it's 10 or 15 minutes. So looking forward to sharing that. He also has a book out, uh, A Practical Approach to Applied Sports Science for Athletic Development. Uh, we'll uh, talk about that a little bit more after the interview. But uh, right now, here's Devin McConnell, the Director of Performance Science and Reconditioning, a goaltender himself, works in the National Hockey League with all players, but uh, offers his unique perspective on goaltending with David Hutchison, the feature interview on In Goal Radio, the podcast. So here we are, Devin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's our pleasure. Uh, Got to be a really interesting time for somebody in your role right now. Uh, interesting is one way to put it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. uh, a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, uncertainty, obviously. But uh, yeah, it's it it has been interesting. So are you? I assume you're in fairly regular communication with the players to keep them on top of their game as as best they can physically. Yep. Yeah. So our whole staff, our whole performance and medical staff, basically the way that we do it, we kind of divvy everybody up and everybody's got a, a handful of the guys that we reach out to and touch base with, you know, every few days, once a week, whatever, um, performance side of the equation, you know, we have training programs for the guys. So we're checking in with them and going back and forth, make, making sure they have what they need and they know what's going on or making any adjustments and our medical guys, same thing on there and just making sure everybody's healthy. And if they need anything, try to get to them. And that's kind of how we operate. How do you, I mean, what are your guidelines even for putting a program together when you're not really sure what the next step is? Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's, um, I mean, one of the first hurdles is just that a lot of guys don't have, I mean, nobody has gym access anywhere. So, sure. uh, you know, a few guys have, you know, home gyms, 
uh, more established older guys might have a, a decent setup, but a lot of guys are in apartments somewhere, wherever that, you know, home might be. And, and they really don't have anything. So the first hurdle was kind of getting them a minimal amount of training equipment to be able to use just in their, in their home space and then designing programs around that minimal amount of equipment and then trying to balance sort of the equation of, uh, you know, trying to keep guys as prepared as possible to come back and, and play if and when that happens, but also at least early on, not knowing if that was going to happen. Um, and so trying to think in terms of a little bit longer term kind of off season mindset. So a lot of, uh, a lot of spinning plates trying to keep kind of in the air at the same time. Uh, so really curious when you said making sure they have a minimal amount of equipment, we've probably got some families at home listening to this podcast thinking, okay, time to get on Amazon. What am I ordering? What, what do you need for a, a basic program at home? Yeah, we, we, uh, we set guys up with, or we asked them to just get, um, like one, uh, 20 kilo kettlebell, uh, a 20 pound weight vest and a TRX strap. Okay. Um, and there's, you know, some other stuff guys would get some, you know, rubber bands, mini bands and things like that, that, that can do a little bit with that are pretty easy to pick up. But those are the three big things that we kind of uh, told guys, well, if you can at least get your hands on these, we can design a, a very kind of uh, basic plan around that and allow you to be able to, to train at least somewhat uh, adequately. And how are, you, how are you sharing the program with guys? Uh, we have a software system that we use uh, that basically we can write up um, team and or individual programs and prescriptions and, and basically they have an app on their phone that they can just open it up or they can get on the computer and open up the website and every day they have access to the kind of from from a to z the whole lineup of exercises and all the detail to it videos go along with it and all that stuff oh fabulous i'd love to be a fly on the wall in that software <laughs> <laughs> yeah be good fun what's uh you know if we're not if we're not in a phase like this what, what's a day in the life for you in in the hockey world yeah it's uh there's sort of two scenarios, I guess, uh, game day and, and practice day. Um, practice day is fairly, uh, fairly routine as far as get to the rink, probably 7.30, 7, 7.30 in the morning. Um, you know, generally an hour, two hours before whatever time the team is going to show up is kind of the, the plan. Um, my role specifically, so as director of performance science, um, I oversee all of the sports science and technology tools and data that we use. So uh, one of the first things just physically that I do when I get to the arena is I, I set up a lot of the equipment, um, whether that be, you know, heart rate straps guys are going to wear at practice or kind of the, some of the tracking equipment um, that needs to be physically fastened into, into their shoulder pads or whatever. Um, and then if we're going to have a training session that day, whatever technology or tools we're going to actually use in the weight room, uh, so again, those are kind of my piece of the puzzle, uh, specifically my niche. So make sure that that stuff's all set up, ready to go. Um, and then it's just really, you know, the day to day is, is depends on if we're going to train, we'll have guys that come in before practice. Uh, some guys will come in after practice. So assisting and working with those guys, if we have any injured athletes, another part of my role is, is reconditioning. So I really work sort of hand in hand with the medical staff as far as getting injured players back. So that'll be very quite variable day to day uh, with those athletes, but it'll be working sort of one-on-one -on -one there and then running a lot of our equipment that we would use in practice from a, again, a monitoring and tracking standpoint. 
post-practice, kind of the same stuff. Some guys will work out, uh, set up or breakdown of equipment. And then kind of the end of the day is, is looking back at whatever information we've collected, um, analyzing that data, creating whatever reports might be necessary for coaching staff or general manager, or even just within our department to better understand where, where guys are kind of at. Um, game, game days are, are kind of similar in the mornings. Uh, it's kind of the same setup. Uh, obviously, middle of the day, uh, after pregame skate or meetings, most guys will go home, uh, take a nap. Um, the staff usually will kind of break up into two groups. Half the group will kind of do the same thing, take off, go home, see family, have lunch. Uh, and the other half will stay and usually play like a staff game, which I end up playing a lot. Oh, nice. And you are a former goaltender, correct? I should say a current goaltender. Once a goalie, always a goalie. I am back to current. Yeah. It was was wild. I didn't play, but now I'm back to skating pretty regularly. And then, uh, back to the rink at like four o'clock for, uh, you know, before the guys show up and, and kind of getting stuff ready for the game. Fantastic. So many th- threads I'd love to pull out there. I think we could be here for a long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you talked about the tools that you're using and uh, heart rates and tracking. Is that the catapult system? Uh, it's a, we use a different similar? company, but similar idea. Yeah. Basically people could think of it as, as, as GPS tracking on the ice. Wow. Okay. So what does that tell you about goaltenders? That's because really most of the question. stuff I've heard, yeah, most of the stuff I've heard, presentations and so on, and they really just talk about players. So, yes. So, what have yeah, you learned? There's, there's, there's certainly more uh, robust information on players at this point. Uh, the, the, the technology is not new in sports in general. It's been used in soccer and rugby and field-based sports for uh, quite a while. It's fairly new in hockey. So there's, there's actually a lot of sort of tinkering and figuring out what means what and what's important, and especially when it comes to goaltenders. Our system in particular um, gives us some information on um, left, right, change of direction, acceleration, deceleration. So we can start to get an idea of, of the, the type of uh, or quantify the workload that uh, goaltenders are going through from a, you know, an in-the-crease movement standpoint, what that actually looks like from a loading standpoint. So we can kind of the idea is to kind of work backwards from that. If we have sort of a model of, of and we can quantify what's physically happening mm-hmm. uh, on the ice for the, for the players, then what do we have to do to move the needle from a training standpoint? Or what do we need to better understand from an injury preventative standpoint? What are the things, what are the loads the athlete is going through? And then another way that we can look at that is uh, we look at uh, return to play a lot of times. So we can see what a, a player's, you know, baseline information is on a, a typical practice um, within whatever, you know, there's going to be fluctuation, but kind of what's, what's his normal. Mm-hmm. And then if there's an injury or, or whatever, and we're coming back, or even if we're looking ahead and we're starting to see a big difference in number of times they move towards the right or, or something like that, that might be indicative of something going on, or it might be indicative that they're not fully prepared to return all the way back to competition. So those are some of the things that we'll look at. And what have you learned that's uh, surprised you? Um, I think the, the relative balance, honestly, of at least with our goaltenders, of their crease movements. Uh, okay. I would have expected that there would have been a lot more uh, asymmetry in their, their in the crease patterns. And at least with our guys, it seems to be very, very symmetrical as far as the amount of work that's being produced, the amount of times they're moving in different directions. Uh, so that's been kind of interesting. 
So, so what do you mean by asymmetry? Because to a, to a person like me, you observe somebody to increase movement drills, we're moving as many times left as we are right. Are you talking about the force they're generating, for example, or what's that yeah, all about? In, in this case, in this case, the, the similarity in the number of times they are moving left and right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically they're not, which I think is, is going to be a good thing because you're going to have essentially equal wear and tear left to right hips and, and groins and things like that. But um, it's one thing to have that uh, similarity in, in patterning in a closed drill where we're just working on skating uh, or in the crease movement. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother thing to see what's happening uh, in sort of a real time scenario in practice, like in a, in a game scenario. Uh, how often are they, are they, you know, moving off of the left post to the top of the right crease versus the other way. Uh, and again, it's been interesting that it's been, it's been fairly symmetrical. It's been fairly, fairly the same, uh, at least across the broad spectrum. There's certainly differences day to day, but when you look at the totality of their work, um, and I don't know if that's as much an indication of the team play around them mm-hmm. or their own, uh, their own style and movement patterns uh, themselves. So those, those are some of the things we've seen that we're, we're thinking about. Interesting. Are, are you able to quantify force at all? Because I, I think we, we've talked about a bit of a, a trend away from those goalies that, you know, the push hard, stop hard, all that extra force with the internal rotation on the hip. And yeah, what's, uh, what's going on there? So uh, not necessarily with the on the ice system. We can, we, you can uh, extrapolate force from some of the acceleration metrics so we can see how how fast somebody's accelerating or decelerating. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also use force plates in the gym that specifically measures that. And we can look at left and right to see if an athlete is producing or absorbing uh, more force left to right, which again is a big uh, sort of baseline and return to play indicator for us. And, and as well as sort of a diagnostic, if we see an athlete is, uh, you know, generally speaking is, is fairly symmetrical uh, at camp as far as how, how they push left to right. And now all of a sudden we're seeing a, a 10 or a 15% difference on one leg or the other, then those are sort of red flags that we'll pay attention to and work with the medical staff to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in this or do you have enough experience using this system at a lower level to really distinguish the difference between the elite and the, and the non-elite? Not with the GPS type system. Uh, that, again, is relatively new in hockey. So um, when I came from the college setting, that wasn't a tool that we had available to us. Um, from a force plate standpoint, certainly. And a lot of our sort of benchmarking and profiling of players, um, even within our organization from, from you know, New Jersey down to Binghamton, um, is identifying strengths and weaknesses and what some of those thresholds look like in, in a bunch of different metrics, in force output and speed and acceleration, power development for goaltenders, for players, for everybody is trying to develop some profiles around guys to kind of have an idea, okay, what does an NHL, uh, you know, what does an NHL goaltender who has played more than five seasons in the National Hockey League look like from a physical standpoint versus somebody who, uh, you know, maybe has, has not uh, reached that uh, level of distinction, but has played the same amount of time in the minor leagues like what is are there physical differences between those guys outside of skill and talent and things like that and are there um yes and no uh i think what 
you generally see what I generally see amongst our, our NHL players who, again, have, you know, have played for a longer amount of time, veteran players at all positions is not necessarily greater peaks in a lot of these physical metrics. They're not necessarily much stronger than the American league players are not much faster than the American league players. Uh, what I think you do see is, is uh, they are more uh, consistent across the board. They're almost better generalists from a physical development standpoint than specialists where you may see um, a player that's a, a bubble player that's up and down might be exceptionally fast if it's a, a forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they might be faster than, than some of our, you know, eight-year veterans in, in the National Hockey League, but they also fatigue faster or they're not able to repeat those things as much. So they're very specialized in that specific skill set or that specific physical quality, but they're not necessarily, they're, they don't have the breadth of physical abilities. Probably informing your opinions on youth sports, I would think. Very much so. Absolutely. So tell us, what should a 10 or 15-year-old goaltender be doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I think if you are, you know, 14-ish and under, uh, I think you should be playing multiple sports. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think early specialization is, um, is not good overall for athletic development. Um, I think, especially for team sport athletes, I think, you know, maybe the equation is a little bit different if you are a, a figure skater or a gymnast where, you know, if you're not elite at 12, yeah. you can't compete. Right. But, uh, the, the, you know, who's the greatest 14 year old goaltender to ever play the game? Don't know. We'll right? never know. It, 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 it will never know. And it kind of doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, how good are you? How developed are you? How athletic are you? Um, how robust are you from a injury preventative standpoint, which I think is one of the, the bigger aspects of the specialization conversation that gets missed is over specialization, early specialization creates a lot of the early uh, injury mechanisms that we're seeing across sports, across positions, certainly with goaltenders, with, FAI and all the, you know, hip and groin issues, having a, a broader base of uh, athletic experience and abilities and different movement patterns and different loading patterns and different speeds and change of directions and all of these different things early on creates a more robust uh, physical person that's able to then at 15, at 16, at 17, when it is time to specialize and it is time to dedicate uh, much more time to, you know, to just playing goal, um, the body is more physically developed and capable and less worn down from the trauma of, of what we do of playing goal. Let's be Mm -hmm. honest. It's, you know, the the positions that we have to get into uh, in the modern game are not, you know, the the human body is not really built for that. Right. Exactly. It's not good for you. Um, so, yeah, so probably long-winded answer to a short question, but that's kind of in a nutshell what I think about early specialization. Well, and I, I actually don't think it really is a short question, at least not expecting a short one, because one of the things that drives me crazy is when you see the latest Facebook post about this guy in the NHL played baseball, soccer, whatever, therefore all kids should. And, and of course, 
you can probably find a guy in the NHL who did nothing but hockey as well. And we're not posting that. So that's why my ears sort of perked up when you were starting to tie some data to, to, to these opinions. And when you mentioned that the NHL players versus the minor league players are more generalists. So have you got other sort of experience and data that, I mean, the injury thing you talked about is, are, where's that coming from beyond opinion? Cause I know you're a science-based guy. Which part? Well, just tie, tying the, the, the injury to, to early specialization versus being a generalist. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a, that's a big question. I know that there, there is research uh, being done and has been done in a lot of other sports uh, mm-hmm. around this. Soccer is a huge one, especially uh, in the UK. Um, baseball, I think people are, are at least uh, somewhat familiar with, you know, the Tommy John situation and sure. that's, you know, happening earlier and earlier and earlier with kids. Um, there, there were studies probably, it might be 10 years ago now, but some of the early studies in hockey on FAI, um, femoral acetabular impingement, not specifically amongst goaltenders, but amongst what they considered elite players at, um, I believe, the Pee age group, Bantam age group, and midget age group over the course of uh, eight to 10 year study essentially showed at each one of those age groups, uh, they, they more or less doubled the percentage of athletes that had um, clinical signs of FAI. So they, they put kids, put people through uh, MRIs and they imaged them and they, they found, you know, at the PE age group of these, you know, quote unquote elite players, mm-hmm. um, they, something like 33% of them had signs of, of FAI. Wow. Uh, at the, the Bantam age group, it went to, you know, 65 or 66%. Basically by, by midget AAA age, you know, 18 and under, it was like 99% of these players had signs of FAI. And these were players essentially that were, you know, when they considered them elite, it was, they were, you know, just playing hockey. They were, you know, AAA level players, et cetera. So from a data standpoint, what that tells me is that by the time we're seeing athletes, whether or not they're symptomatic, because you can have sort of internal structural mechanisms of these issues, but they're not showing right. uh, dysfunction. They're not creating pain yet. We just need to assume that they all have something going on, especially if they've uh, just been playing or primarily been playing hockey from an early age, just because of the wear and tear. And again, whether it's goaltending or skating, the hip joint is really not designed to do what we're asking it to do in our sport. So we need to understand that. We need to appreciate that and realize that by the time we're getting them at, at, at our level, uh, the college and the professional level, uh, major junior level, um, these athletes already have issues going on. Uh, and so we need to take that into account when we're training them and how we're approaching rehabilitation and training programs and all those things. That's fascinating. So you're basically assuming a, a goaltender. I mean, I know a player as well, but we're not so worried about the skaters. Uh, <laughs> is arriving is effectively damaged goods when, when he comes into your hands, regardless they really of what he's are. showing. They yeah. really are. They, and again, it's, it doesn't mean that a hundred percent of them are, are showing outward signs. They're not necessarily having dysfunction or, or pain. Um, and some, some, again, there's going to be outliers. Some, some of these athletes are, their hips are built in certain ways that just allow them sure. more room. Right. And so there might not be an issue, but the reality is, almost everybody that we're seeing at least has some underlying pathology. And so 
we need to take those things into account. And, and then we need to think about, and this is what we do a lot here with our players is we think about, okay, we need to, it's not always about improving performance, but a lot of times it's about mitigate, mitigating the damage that's being done. If we're skating, competing every single day at this level, um, there's wear and tear that's happening. What can we do on the other side of the coin to try to offset some of that? And that's what a lot of our training programs with our goaltenders are, are really built around is how can we, how can we manage um, the dysfunction that it might be sort of underlying to keep these guys competing and playing at a high level uh, and as, as you know, close to the razor's edge as possible. So, so how can we? Um, can you give me an example of what that means for a goaltender at the NHL level and for all the panicky parents of not even panicky, let's face it. We're all just reasonably concerned of the six-year-old, the 10-year-old, whatever your age, what can we be doing, uh, so that, that they're arriving healthier when, when they all realize their dream? Yeah. Well, I think the, the first thing, and it's, it's honestly, it's a pretty simple answer, but the first component is, especially for the younger athletes is quality uh off ice training quality off ice strength and conditioning not uh not super specialized not i think people get um sports specific uh caught up in their mind a lot of time with training and think that well if my my child's a goaltender if i'm a goaltender then what we should be doing in the gym or off the ice should look like goaltending and that's actually kind of the opposite uh it, it, the specificity is happening on the ice every day. Mm -hmm. What we want to be doing is training what I call human specific human, uh, the way the human body is supposed to kind of move and just in general, get stronger, a stronger athlete. Uh, and I, you know, in quotes, cause what does that really mean? But a stronger athlete is going to be more robust and be able to handle more stress. So younger athletes, I would highly encourage, uh, being involved in a, a sound strength and conditioning sports performance type program, not specifically aimed necessarily at goaltenders, but just aimed at general strength and conditioning. That's certainly an underlying component for our guys here, but they're generally more developed and, and kind of have that foundation under them. So a lot of what we're doing, the recipe is really um, kind of the same every day. Uh, we address soft tissue quality. So what does that mean? That means Every day, our, our goaltenders are coming into the weight room and starting their, their day with a foam roller or they're working with our massage therapist. And you can kind of think of massage or foam rolling as um, trying to improve the quality of the muscle tissue. So if you've got a bunch of knots in there, you're trying to relax those knots out. That's the first thing we do. Then we're doing some very standard vanilla uh, static stretching. We're trying to lengthen the tissue out to get it to kind of an optimal range. So obviously everybody's familiar with basic stretching. So mm -hmm. we go foam roll, we go stretch. Then we want to address joint mobility. How much time are you spending on that? Um, as long as we're consistent doing it every day, roll and stretch might be, might be 10 minutes, uh, maybe even less. Uh, so this isn't the obsessive NHL goaltender doing two hours of stretching. No. And we no, do know really of not. some. <laughs> it's, it's not, uh, not with our guys at least. And, and, all of them will have their own specific, uh, you know, little tweaks and routines that they want to go through, but we're really not spending a, a tremendous amount of time, you know, trying to just hang out in the splits. Uh, we're trying to just basically get some length through the tissue, improve the quality of the tissue. Then we're going into joint mobility. So the ankle, the hip, and the thoracic spine, the upper back are designed to be very mobile in the human body. Um, when they are not, you end up with compensations and issues certain places. 
again, NHL goaltenders being the elite of the elite, uh, they tend to be very, very mobile. Most NHL goaltenders are what we would call hypermobile. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll spend some time on mobility work, but it's not, it's not a major uh, piece of the puzzle because they're usually very good at it. Um, the next piece, though, is, is that we address is something called uh, functional range conditioning, or FRC. Okay. And it's essentially um, getting into end range positions. So going back into stretches, but creating uh, tension and strength at those end ranges. Because a lot of where you see injuries occur for a goaltender is you know when they're extended into the splits or they have to reach back and obviously get into a, a unique position it's at that end range where the muscles and the, the joints are at their weakest so we're trying to create some tension and strength at those end ranges and again this is on a daily basis this is maybe another five minutes worth of work but it's a consistent uh recipe that we're, we're applying can you give me an example of what one of those looks like because i actually have a goaltender who was told no more stretching because he's so crazy hypermobile. Yeah, and so, but was too young to have the strength at the end range. Yeah, so uh, for that individual, you could picture uh, sitting on the on the floor doing a you know a V sit or kind of extending the legs out, getting as as far into a, a split so to speak as you could. Um, at the at each ankle, you might have uh, a heavy kettlebell, or um, you could picture doing it like in a door frame. Mm -hmm. So you're able to sort of push once you've gotten to your end range, you're, you're just physically pushing into the, the door frame or into the kettlebells to create tension. It's mm -hmm. a, like an isometric hold. So you're not actually moving, but you're pushing in, right? You hold that for three to five seconds and then you pull back out. And so literally what you're doing is just creating tension in and out at your end ranges, which, uh, so which if I remember also gives you a little bit more range, the old PNF stretching. It's, it's very, very similar to PNF stretching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very conceptually, it's, it's very similar. Okay. So sorry, I interrupted you there as you were going through the, uh, yeah. what you're, no, what so, you're doing. I mean, routine. that's, you know, again, on a daily basis, we're at the 15 minute mark roughly. Uh, and then we're going to, we're going to get up and go through some just very basic kind of dynamic flexibility, dynamic warm up um, uh, exercises. Um, and then the, we're basically going to finish off with uh, some, low volume strength and power work. So we have, we have a, a piece of equipment in our gym uh, called the 1080 quantum that allows us to do um, lateral based strength training at really high uh, intensities, but without any load on the body. Um, so basically we can do like a lateral push um, creating a lot of force. So it's almost like a, a shuffle motion in the crease, but they're able to load it or we're able to set the machine to load it to create high levels of force uh, at very low speeds. So you would think of like, it's akin to doing a very heavy squat, mm -hmm. like a one rep max squat where you're not moving very fast, but you're, you're pushing as hard as you can. But we're able to do that laterally or even some rotational components. We can get into like a reverse BH position and create uh, movement out of these positions hmm. the system governs them so they can't move very fast but they can push really hard so we're developing strength through a specific range and then we'll couple that with some lateral based plyometrics or uh, medicine ball throws so we're kind of going strength to speed strength to speed we might might do two to three sets of each of those and that's that's 20 minutes pre-practice and then they're going to get dressed and get on the ice same thing every day? 
ish. Same recipe, yeah. uh, we'll, you know, alter the, the specific exercise or the specific mm -hmm. pattern, but the recipe basically stays the same. Okay. So, so how does that inform then a youth goaltender or even a early junior goaltender? Um, what, what should they be doing every day? I think the recipe again, uh, stays, stays the same, mm -hmm. um, address soft tissue, um, address length, address, address tension at length. Cause that's very specific for us as goaltenders. Um, some basic dynamic warm up to a physically just warm the body up is very important in, from an injury preventative standpoint, but also you can think of dynamic warm up skipping and, uh, shuffles and, and, uh, lateral, uh, stops and starts as, um, as like specific, uh, skill work. So it's just, it's kind of working on the, the patterns, the basic stuff, just like most goaltenders know when they get out on the ice at practice, most guys are going to have a skating routine, sure. some crease where it's the same idea. It's just repetitive, uh, basic movement patterns that are also just physically warming them up. And then if you have access to, um, any way that you can do just very, very brief, you know, obviously the, you're not going to have the 1080 quantum at most, you know, town rinks. Um, but some very basic, uh, you know, single leg squats to a bench, uh, with some lateral bounds. And if you've got a, a medicine ball that you can throw some rotational medicine ball throws, I think from a two pronged approach, one that's priming the nervous system to go out on the ice and do explosive work. But two, it's, it's what we consider a microdosing approach. If you're able to do, uh, one or two just mini exercises uh, every day before practice um, that adds up over the course of a season to quite a robust training floor. And that's really approach, an approach that we take here with the NHL schedule being as, as hectic as it is, the amount of time that we can actually dedicate to training in the gym is very minimal. So we try to microdose. We get just mm. one or two little things done uh, just about every single day or every practice day instead of spending an hour and a half, uh, you know, in the gym twice a week, which we just don't, you don't have the availability to. Which is a good lesson. I think for everybody, don't, don't become overwhelmed and expect that you have to get everything dialed in and perfect. Just get something done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So every a little bit consistently. Yep. So every training kit needs a foam roller. I a hundred percent, I would yeah. say, uh, a, if you're not foam rolling prior to prior to practice and games, uh, really any kind of physical activity for goaltending, I think you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle from an injury mechanism standpoint. I think that that clears a lot of problems out right there, just being consistent with your tissue quality. So I think that's the first thing to, to definitely have in your bag. Mm -hmm. Wow, so many threads to pull here still. This is this is great. I, I'm still fascinated by the conversation about uh, – about the the physical testing and how that ties to performance. Always been fascinated to look at the combine process, whether it's at the NHL or junior, and we've even got junior leagues now combine testing, quote in air quotes, uh, kids as young as twelve years old now. Yeah. Um, does that really inform where somebody's going? At that age, I would yeah. say not really. Yeah. Um, the only, the only. The only general uh, takeaways from any type of combine testing, in my opinion, um, are really the speed and power based metrics. Um, 
if you've got two 12 year olds and you do, you know, at a combine and you do a vertical jump, mm-hmm. um, and once I don't even know what a good 12 year old vertical jump would be, but let's say, uh, 20 inches is, is exceptional at that age. Uh, and you've got somebody that jumps 20 inches and you've got somebody that jumps 10 inches. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's going to tell you necessarily where they're going to be in eight years. What it would tell you is then at least innately, those two athletes have some different physical qualities. Vertical jump is going to be very indicative of explosiveness mm-hmm. um, in any direction. So vertical jump is going to correlate to some degree with, you know, crease movements and explosive movements. It's also going to correlate to skating speed for players. So if you've got somebody at that age that, that has a poor vertical jump or one that has a very good vertical jump, you say, okay, you've got sort of two levels of, of athleticism. You probably have enough time to impact it, mm-hmm. thankfully, especially if you don't you know, have that explosiveness innately. Um, but it's not going to tell you, it's not going to predict down the road what type of player this is going to be or how good they're going to be. Even at this level, you know, at the NHL combine, I think looking at, at those explosive type metrics can inform a little bit about where a player is at. But even then, it's going to be very different uh, contextually. You've got a player that has a big training age. They've, they've been in a gym and trained well and trained explosively for a long time. Um, they, they might score very well in those tests, but they may be near their ceiling. Whereas if you have an athlete that's never walked into a gym, uh, their numbers might not be that great, but you don't know that their ceiling might be much higher. So all of those types of metrics, none of them are definitive. They all have to be taken uh, in context and quite frankly, with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. Really important thing that you just brought up about finding the ceiling because scouting, uh, of course, is about far more than deciding who the best player on the ice is today, but but where can we take them as a pro? Anything you can inform a scouting staff about? Well, I think, again, from those physical characteristics, you know, I can't uh, necessarily, certainly not to the degree of any of our scouts, I can't tell you who the the best players are. Sure. But I can tell you, you know, again, just from the quick snapshot from combine data, you know, if somebody is jumping through the roof uh, and their, their, you know, their, their wind gate power output is really high, any metrics that we can see that show explosiveness i'm going to say okay that player is probably pretty fast and if they're not very fast it's probably a skating skill uh component that can be fixable if somebody's really really poor at those things um again if if i don't know what their training background is i can't really tell you if if they're going to get better or not but i can tell you at least today take the guy if their skills are the same take the guy that jumps higher because if he's in net He's more explosive and probably more athletic. If he's a forward, his you know first three strides are going to be faster and more explosive than the other guy. Um, those are the things. So from a scouting standpoint, those are the types of conversations we have that, hey, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and tell you who a better hockey player is, but at least as we sit today, I can tell you this person is probably more athletic. So if all things are equal, then I would mm. push you in that direction. Has the athletic ability at the elite level in the last 20 years, of course it's changed, but, but I, I often wonder whether it's all, we're becoming a little bit more homogenous. I mean, I think there was a time 15, 20 years ago, you could be an elite NHL goaltender, but maybe not be the same athlete that your teammate is probably less. So today, is that fair that 
that you, oh, you really can't agree. get away. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think for the most part, I think it has to do with uh, much better uh, training today than we had, you know, physical training than we had 15 years ago um, and more widespread. I think, uh, you know, people understand, you know, again, in, in net, we understand all things being equal. You've got two goaltenders of the same talent level and, and one is just more innately athletic mm-hmm. um, than that, that player's ceiling may be, may be higher. Well, players understand this now and understand that you can develop athleticism. And that's really what gym training should be about is developing athleticism. So it's become more and more important and people understand that. And goaltenders now, again, from an early age, I think you're right. I think, um, I think goaltenders on, in today's NHL are just as athletic, if not more so than a lot of their teammates, where mm-hmm. that probably wasn't the case uh, as, as often 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah, and that's not to say there weren't great athletes then. Um, I think it was J.S. Jaguar who who said that he thinks that of all the all the siblings in his family, he was probably the worst athlete of all of them, and yet you know one of the best goaltenders. Um, just that the game is different. Yeah, no yeah. question. Yeah, no question. Um, I I think in a way you've touched on this a little bit, but it, but I did come in this wanting to ask you, um, based on the data, based on the the tracking systems you're using in practice and so on. Um, how are goaltenders different from the other athletes on the ice? And as a result, how are you training them differently? Um, so there's, there's a couple things. Uh, one from a, a conditioning or an energy system development standpoint. Um, and a, a lot of this is going to be common sense, but um, the physical demands from a conditioning standpoint are different for goaltenders and for players. Uh, essentially what you see from a heart rate standpoint with, with goaltenders is um, less, uh, less of a valley. So their heart rate is always consistently higher than most of the rest of the players. If you look at average heart rate over time. Oh, so we're uh, working harder than the players. We are working harder than the players. There's no <laughs> question about it. Thank you. Uh, we've, we are. We actually yeah. are from a, a physical output standpoint. Um, so heart rate is the average heart rate, let's say over the course of a game, is going to be higher than, than players. And that's because literally, obviously we're not going to sit down on the bench. So we're staying more elevated throughout the entire game than players who are going to have more highs and lows. So we have less up and down mm-hmm. in net, but we have a higher average over time. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then the way that translates uh, from a training standpoint is in our off season training program, certainly it'll be reflective of how we perform conditioning work to Mm -hmm. train them more, to be able to to do that, to have a a somewhat higher, but sustained heart rate than, um, than players who are more um, kind of repeat sprint athletes. Um, But in practice, it's something that we, we talk about and we, we think about as in terms of um, how we structure practice or how we structure our goaltenders time and net based on the physical demand. So basically what you see in practice, um, just historically in hockey practice, what the goaltenders are asked to do during a normal practice is not indicative of what happens in a game. So if you want to train a goaltender optimally in practice to perform in a game, then you need to think about how many shots they stay in net for, uh, how much recovery and break time they get. and do you have them just stand in net and take 
you know, 45 shots in a row is whatever flow drill flow drills are flying around because when you kind of look under the cover and look at the heart rate response to what's going on, you're absolutely redlining your goaltender. You're certainly not developing any specific skill set because we're not actually playing the position the way we play in a game. You're just standing there trying to react and not get hit in the face. Uh, And so physiologically, it's very different. So we have these conversations all the time about, you know, sometimes that's necessary and sometimes that's just what it is. But when and where we can, we can alter that, uh, we try to make adjustments uh, on the ice. Um, from sort of a, a strength power standpoint, obviously, uh, the game in net is very laterally based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's actually, um, in some ways, it's, it's more explosive than players as far as what we're being asked to do is perform one extremely high intensity, high speed, high velocity uh, movement or acceleration with a hard deceleration and a quick reaction and then a reset and a movement, whereas players are obviously more kind of moving around and flowing all the time. So from a training standpoint, uh, goaltenders actually in the, in the weight room actually need to focus even more on kind of um, power and speed-based work as opposed to more higher repetition kind of general strength work. So Devin McConnell gets to start running all the New Jersey Devil practices tomorrow, if... Um, and let's forget the needs of the players because obviously uh, we have to make concessions so that they can train as well. But let's just say we didn't care what the players were doing. Um, how, how would you train a practice, change a practice? Would it specifically be in how you're practicing or would you have four goaltenders out there so that you can alter heart rates? I mean, what would you do in an ideal world? Yeah, I mean, in an ideal world and you throw all the, you know, all the rules out the window, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd have four goaltenders out there. Mm-hmm. And you basically have... Uh, you know, you'd have two uh, sort of practice dummy guys mm-hmm. that would end up taking the bulk of the work in those non-specific flow drill type uh, exchanges. Um, and you'd have your, your top two guys basically subbing in and out in more realistic sort of time frame. So you might have, uh, you might have Mackenzie Blackwood in the net during, you know, again, whatever flow drill for, um, a period of 30 seconds, or maybe it's a, a shot count of, you know, five or six shots. And then you'd pull them out and you'd have, you know, one to two minutes of, of rest, or maybe go into the corner with the goalie coach and do some, you know, low intensity, kind of more specific skill work or skating mm-hmm. work, come back in um, much, much more like a, the flow of a game where you maybe the puck is in your end for, you know, 15, 20 seconds, one shot, two shots and a rebound, whatever it might be and then get out while the puck goes the other end. Um, so that's probably the, the, the main thing that I would do is bring in or set up a scenario where our, our top two goaltenders, you know, our, our guys uh, wouldn't be drilled with 30 shots in a row for four minutes straight, um, but that their workflow and their work to rest ratios would be much more game-like, especially in those, types of drills that are not game specific, but are, are necessary from a sort of skill development standpoint for the rest of the group. Mm-hmm. That That's fascinating on a couple of levels because one, we often hear at the NHL level, the, the, the phrase three doesn't go into two and, and it becomes almost untenable to have three guys on the roster at once. And yet, and yet you're giving us a really good reason to do that, if not four. Um, but I, but I've also never heard anybody 
uh, put it the way you just did, where it's not just a guy to share a net, but for some very specific reasons at times. So the the practice dummy, you know, might be getting, I'm going to read into this 80% of a flow drill and, and the starter might be getting 80% of a, a game like drill. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, that's, that's from a physiological perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I understand 100%. the psychological side of it and all the other elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, 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 it, when I worked in the college setting, we actually, we did this, uh, you know, in, in, in college hockey in the U.S. and the NCAA, you can have four goalies on a on a roster, mm-hmm. um, and it's not totally uncommon at the college level. Uh, and for a few years, we we kind of experimented with that, and and it worked to some degree from a physiological perspective. But it was a challenge uh, from the other side of the coin. So it's 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 a give and take, and it's a conversation. I don't think there's an exact science to it, um, but I think I know looking at the data that the way we traditionally practice our goaltenders or what their what their data tells us from practice is not reflective of what happens in a game um so at some point specificity is really important and uh if practice is just becoming a uh, overly fatiguing uh workload standpoint for goaltenders that does not train them physically for what they have to do in games. And I think we need to think about what's the optimal way to develop goaltenders from a practice standpoint. And let's be clear here. The New Jersey devil sports science staff is not telling all parents of young goaltenders to run to the head coach and say, you need to change what you're doing. This isn't right. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for doing things. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, please and don't get me in trouble. No, I like no, my no. job. <laughs> not, not a good strategy for parents. This is just something maybe for coaches to think about and learn from. Um, physiologically then there's also, uh, some rationale to something else that often we talk about and, and that's in those flow drills, how often a player will take a shot and just sort of peel to the corner and, and it ends up, as you say, shot after shot, um, not really good for players either, but, but this would sort of suggest we should inform our drills with not just that shot, but shot and a rebound because. Yeah. Well, and that's a huge thing, right? Like even, um, even if there's no rebound, like we're trained as goaltenders and we understand the importance of, of tracking the puck and where mm-hmm. does the puck go and moving, moving to where that puck goes after the, after the save, after the initial save, even if that player peels off and doesn't get the rebound, we should follow the puck to the corner, you know, but if you've got the flow drill where the next shot's coming seven seconds later, um, mm-hmm. you're not, not able to do that. So in my opinion, that creates uh, bad habits because goaltenders now not, able to follow the play and follow the puck the way that we're supposed to uh, the way that we know we need to um, from a a goaltender development skill standpoint Mm -hmm. so that again creates uh, sort of a dysfunctional pattern as far as how practice uh, often operates versus what is optimal for a goaltender Mm -hmm. but I'm there you're talking about habits and technical but there probably is physiologically a reason too because you want them to have that explosive component 100%. 100%. And, and so you yeah. also got to hold your goalies honest in that. Don't just follow the puck, but let's give them a reason to. Right. And so again, if we're talking, if we take that concept or that drill and we think about it from a physical development standpoint, where you're right, we, we want to be training and developing explosiveness with our athlete. Well, if the goaltender is at the end of a four minute segment and they're 40 the shot, there's no uh, explosion. There, you, you cannot do that. You can't become fast and explosive and powerful in the presence of fatigue. So it goes back to that idea of having, you know, another goaltender out there uh, to take shots. 
from a physical development standpoint, what that allows the number one guy or number two guy to do is to train to be explosive. Because then if you're only taking five to six shots, you can be, you can be sharp, you can be explosive, you can be technical and not be fatigued. The idea is to be explosive and then get out of the way before fatigue sets in. That's what you're really trying to do. Because in very rarely in a game setting, are we going to be spending an amount of time um, taking shots or, you know, even in, in, in the crease with the puck in our zone um, for longer than, I mean, you know, there's outlier opportunities, but 30 five seconds on, at a time. Five on three maybe though? Exactly, exactly. Do you train for that ever or does it just sort of come from the regular training? Because that's, um, that, that is being explosive under, under exhaustion. Yeah, so, so if, if you're going to um, theoretically, you know, develop that, mm-hmm. what you want to do, what, what I would want to do from a practice standpoint, early in practice, you want to develop and train the qualities to be fast and explosive and powerful. So that's your 10 seconds of work minute of rest, you know, three shots, five shots, minute of rest. You can be explosive, get out before you're fatigued because you're actually trying to train to be faster and be sharper. You can take that same type of drill and then you can do it at the end of practice and you can extend the time frame. So instead of five seconds, now it is 30 seconds or a minute. Instead of five shots, now it is 15 or 20 shots. So what you're trying to do at that point is maintain as high a percentage of your explosiveness that you developed early on at the end. Um, An example I always like to use is, is uh, basketball coaches. Basketball coaches love to run their players into the ground and then have them go to the free throw line and hit, hit buckets because at the end of the game, right. At the end of the game, you, you're going to be tired. You got to be able to hit a free throw. Totally agree. But if at the start of the game, you're only shooting 20% from the line, who cares if you're maintaining 20% at the end? Yeah. You want to develop the quality first and then maintain the quality later, but you can't do them the other way around. Yeah, fascinating. That's, that's really fascinating. Um, can you just back to the, the training piece again, and, and you were talking about the aerobic component for goaltenders being different than players. There seems to be a bit of a um, sort of two, two different things going on there. You want them to be the most explosive athlete on the team, and yet they've got to maintain a higher heart rate for a longer period of time. So those are two different things, I believe. Um, how do you handle that with training? And, and what does the aerobic training look like for a goaltender versus a player? Yeah, so goalies are what, uh, what I consider an alactic aerobic athlete, which is exactly what you just said. It's alactic is, is being explosive. That's 10 seconds or less of really high intensity, high speed, explosive, powerful work. And then aerobic is being able to maintain a kind of a lower percentage for a longer amount of time. We want to stay out of the middle ground. So most players are more of a middle ground. They're, mm-hmm. they're an anaerobic athlete. Um, they're not always as explosive, but they're, they don't need as big a, an aerobic sort of foundation. Um, they live more in the middle. Goalies, we want to be very explosive at the top and then recovery and, and aerobic ability down at the bottom. So what does that look like from a training standpoint? Uh, that looks like in the gym doing uh, mostly explosive-based power development work, plyometrics, med ball throws, um, you know, explosive loaded uh, jumping exercises, things like that. Um, not a ton of exercise in the, 
you know, uh, eight to 12 rep range. That's kind of the middle. Um, and then from a conditioning standpoint, it's working a little bit more on the, the length end of the spectrum when we do like interval work on the bike. Whereas a player, we might be doing a 30 second sprint with a minute rest. The goaltender, we might be doing a minute or two minute uh, work interval with uh, a, a one minute rest. So it's still interval based. It's not steady state, your old school kind of road work, go run for 45 minutes or bike for 45 minutes. Um, it's a, a higher intensity interval than that, but it's somewhat longer than what we might have our, our forwards and defensemen doing. Is there a place for the 6K run you send a kid out on? Uh, Load, no. Or is that loaded? No, that's a loaded question. Uh, it, yeah. is, there, is there a place for longer duration, steady state work? I would say uh, for a high level, well-developed athlete, um, yes, early in the off season. I would not have that be running because most, of, most hockey players, regardless of position, are, are poor runners and there's going to be an orthopedic cost to longer running mm-hmm. relative to uh, something that's less impactful, like, like a bike. So there's a, a, be- a because small... we're so, because we're so refined to be hockey players. Now our bodies just aren't ready for the demands of running. Essentially. I think yeah. for most uh, team sport athletes that aren't, uh, you know, aerobic based soccer might be kind of a, a an, a, example of somebody that would be most of us are not well built part of what makes us good for hockey and for goaltending physically and the way we're built is what makes us not good for like longer distance mm-hmm. running mm-hmm. sprinting is a different equation i think sprinting is really good for goaltenders and for all athletes but longer duration stuff um not not so much and i would say that the window of time that that's necessary or beneficial is pretty minimal in the course of a year postseason three to four weeks, two, maybe three times a week is really all that's necessary um, before we start to train those other qualities. Because at the end of the day, that steady state aerobic work, that VO2 work that used to be so important, mm-hmm. we now realize is, does it matter a little bit, but it's priority number you know, six on the list. So if you're not getting one through five done, you're not becoming more explosive and stronger and faster, uh, then don't worry about number six on the list. That that doesn't matter. It's not going to have as big an impact on on your game. And speaking of impact, there's a cost to that work as well if you're not ready cost for to it. that work. Yeah. yeah. How about recovery? Um, I, I I think uh, I mean whether it's the NHL where you have these wild schedules that are so hard to work with, or or you know a youth team playing five games in a weekend. Um, how, how do you manage recovery? At, I mean, those are two different extremes, probably, but. Yeah, it's, but you're right. It's very challenging. Um, and it's a huge component and it's one of the components of, of, you know, training and development that I think probably gets, um, overlooked a lot. I think when it comes to recovery at any level, I think the, the basics are the most important. Um, sleep is absolutely number one. You can't out recover poor sleep. So getting, uh, proper sleep, as much sleep as, as you can, um, deep sleep. That's a challenge in the NHL with the schedule. Um, but that's component number one. So educating guys on sleep hygiene, um, and helping them find ways to, to get to sleep post game and things like that is really important. Nutrition and hydration, 
um, really important post game, you know, for us, post game nutrition is an absolutely key component, like what our guys are eating post game and, and recovery shakes afterwards. Uh, and again, there's no magic bullet, but just sound high quality food is number two. Um, from a, a sort of mechanical standpoint, um, it's almost the same recipe in reverse from the warm up. Uh, we want to address uh, joint mobility and then uh, soft tissue length, so stretching and then foam rolling to improve the quality. We just think about what we do in net uh, all game. Muscles get tight and bound up and twisted and kind of beat up. We want to basically afterwards, after practice or a game, get on a foam roller, lengthen those that tissue out, sort of get back to baseline, get back to neutral, as we like to say. Um, those are the, the, the tenants, the big things, the big rocks. Um, and again, whether you're playing five games in a, in a weekend as a youth player, it's kind of the same thing. If you got a foam roller in your bag, get your gear off, spend three or four minutes on foam roller and just work through anything that's sore or tight or stiff. It'll pay dividends, you know, not necessarily in game two, but in game five, it'll add up. Hydration and nutrition, same thing. Only a small amount of dehydration you know, a 2% loss in, in water weight basically um, can be a, a 20 or 30% decrease in power output and aerobic ability and, and even um, cognitive ability. So that's not much, you know, players will routinely lose 10 pounds of sweat in a NHL game. So getting hydrated post game is really, really important to get back to baseline. There's some, some solid research that's informed practice in fairly recent years. I, my son couldn't believe it the other day when I told him back when I played hockey and minor hockey, we were forced to spit out any water that we drank on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. yeah things have changed. Uh, okay. To, um, you've probably heard my partner on the podcast, Kevin Woodley, many times say, I'm sorry, I've kept you so long. Um, didn't mean it to be this long, but just one more question. If I can Absolutely. throw it in yeah. people are, and, and, and I hope you'll come back at another time because I could talk about this forever. Um, thank you for this time. Uh, I, I don't know that I got into hips enough with you. Um, you certainly mentioned them. I was fascinated when you mentioned that uh, people arrive at the pro level, almost all of them, with with some damage. Um, what should we be doing about our hips with our young goaltenders? And I and I assume you're going to tell me about you know the the end of range motion strengthening and the foam rollers and stuff. But um, is there anything else we should be doing as coaches, as parents, uh, so that our kids are arriving to you in better health? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean the things that I talked about. I think uh, I think general, well-designed strength training and all of those pieces of the recipe um, are really important. You're going to be able to handle higher levels of stress. Uh, you're going to be able to handle uh, more volume of that stress if you're just physically more robust and stronger. So yes, those those basics are really really important. Um, I think the um, anti-specialization, especially early on, uh, is, is an important component to that. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, don't go to, to goalie school once a week, you know, in the summers. Mm -hmm. uh, it just means like maybe, you know, pick up a lacrosse stick or kick a soccer ball too and do some other things because I think that that's going to improve not only performance, but I think that's going to improve robustness again. Um, I think on the ice, uh, there, I know there's been a lot of talk about you know, uh, some of the studies that have come out that have, have shown that some of the higher, highest levels of force and, and torque in the hip is during, you know, hard stops in, mm -hmm. in skating type drills. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, 
it's a balancing act, right? Because that's performance and that's training for performance. That's, those are skills we need and, and we want to develop. I would say uh, keeping those things in mind and minimizing um, the volume of that. I think a lot of, a lot of uh, what we do in sport in general as coaches in, in, in any regard is we add more on top of the pile. It's, it's let's do a little more. Let's mm-hmm. do one more rep or one more set or one more of this or a little bit longer. And the reality is the bang for your buck from a performance standpoint isn't more volume, it's more intensity. So it's doing less of those, but making them kind of like our practice example, making them sharper and crisper and then recovering from it. So instead of, you know, this is a dumb example, but instead of doing, you know, a, a hard stop drill from pre-practice from, you know, across the blue line, all the way across the ice, mm-hmm. maybe we do, um, you know, four hard stops aside and we go from the boards to the, to the face-off dot or whatever that is, or whatever you would do in the crease instead of doing five rotations, you know, around a, a star drill, mm-hmm. maybe we only do two. Or maybe we do two and we take a break and we get multiple sets of it. So it's more about sharp and intense mm-hmm. than kind of long and fatiguing, if that makes sense. Yeah, which is almost the opposite of what so many parents want. I mean, you send your kid to goalie school. I want one kid in the net and let's have more reps because I'm paying a lot of money for this. And that's actually not, it's counterintuitive. It's, it's counter to development. Yes. Like that is not how you develop the athlete that's how you get a lot of work done mm-hmm. you make them tired mm-hmm. and you get you know work for work's sake but work for work's sake isn't the same thing as deliberate practice exactly and some people might even say yeah but then he gets more technical time but again as you said with the basketball example that's not quality technical time either is it right yeah Devin, we could talk all day um i really enjoyed that i'm sure you don't have all day so uh i I apologize for taking so much time and i thank you on behalf of all of our listeners for uh for sharing some time with us today well this was a blast i I could talk all day and i would love to come back if you guys would have me absolutely Uh, this was a lot of fun i don't get to talk goalie nearly enough so i I had a blast thank you all right Devin. have a a great day thank you thanks a lot Great way to wrap it up. That was fun. Uh, good job, Hutch. Uh, and foam rolling. Uh, we know Woody's all happy. He's he's pumped because uh, we got some foam rolling. There, yes. he, he knows the time code from when that was made. Oh, we're pulling that clip, baby. That thing is going to be all <laughs> over the internet. If you're not foam rolling, you're missing a huge part of the puzzle. <laughs> Believe me, boys, I noted that one. I got to say, like, in addition, I make jokes about... Uh, foam rolling obviously we know i'm a little obsessive with it despite the fact i don't actually find time to do it and can barely get out of my chair when we finish talking here um but in addition to that i gotta say the coolest part of this interview and there were a ton of cool parts is the fact that we found devon that we connected with devon i should say that hutch connected with devon um because he subscribed to in goal yeah, premium it's perfect. I, it really is you know we talked about it earlier with with uh, brandon maxwell coming on board as a subscriber as a pro all the pros we have I'm not trying to make it a flex or a backpat but it's it, no it's a community it's though, a right? sign we're growing this community in the right direction when we have 12 year old kids who just want to have a facetime session with carrie price to seasoned veterans and pros and nhl you know strength coaches and actually not a strength coach more than that but it's just, I mean, it made, it made me feel really good that this interview comes from 
him subscribing to our magazine that people see that value. And it's because people like him are willing to then give us their time so we can find more content and more ideas and have more conversations about the position that we can then, you know, store. I mean, I can think of three or four different story ideas that popped into my head listening to him talk different angles that I think you could dive into and explore with different people from from practice philosophies to you know, you know, we hear a lot of butterfly count stuff. Well, now we're, you know, we're hearing a talk of studies of, you know, even just the, the, the hard push, hard stop can do some damp. Like there's just, there's so much there. Off ice goalie specific stuff. Maybe should be a little bit more just general strength training. And if I could repeat, if you're not foam rolling, you're missing a huge part <laughs> of the puzzle. There's just, um, and, and to have it come organically like that is, I mean, it just, I don't know. You guys can, People can hear me, not see me, but hopefully they can hear the massive smile I have on my face because it really means that this community that Hutch started, that we've grown uh, for the podcast to now in goal premium, um, it really just feels like we got something special going in here and having Devin be a part of it um, only increases that. So yeah, big smiles. Not just because I'm sleep deprived today, boys. Big <laughs> smiles all around. And if you... You, you like what you hear from uh, from Devin, want more from him. Uh, I don't know whether he even knows we're doing this, nope. but uh, he's... Uh, uh, put out this book uh, called Intent, uh, a practical approach to applied sports science for athletic development. And uh, you can pick that one up, uh, Amazon. Uh, it's uh, an awesome uh, read with, uh, with a lot of uh, sports science. And, and you get that, uh, that intersection between what we have with our bodies and the science uh, around it. And uh, when they intersect, uh, we learn so much more. And, and there will be a link on the website with the show notes. But Worth, worth saying that, um, yeah, Devin didn't even mention the book. He didn't ask us to promo the book. He was just coming on to help out other goaltenders. And as I was just doing a little bit of Googling to, to learn a bit more about him before we chatted, I, I discovered the book and I forgot to ask about it in the interview. Again, he didn't say a thing. Um, so, so our pleasure to be able to share that with the audience. And I'm looking forward to, to uh, digging deep into that book myself. Now, you know what book I'm reading right now? The Real Ogie. The story of Goldie Goldthorpe. Oh wow! Yeah, is that uh, that's a long way from uh, a practical approach to applied sports science for athletic development. <laughs> Lee McGuire does the uh, the real. Oh, mine, uh, I there's a lot of stories. I in am that. reading a book that came up on the Pete Fry webinar uh, when we had yeah oh, wow. when we had the Pete Fry webinar. He mentioned uh, David Goggins can't hurt me, and interestingly, as he mentioned that. Um, our other guest, uh, Dylan Ferguson, ran to his bookshelf and pulled that off the bookshelf, and he'd been reading the same book. And show off. I'm only going to mention it actually to say I'm not sure, uh, especially if you're a parent of a younger goaltender, that you want to run and grab this book because there's some pretty heavy stories from Goggins's childhood that that are pretty difficult to read, and uh, and the language is very raw that you might expect out of Navy SEAL training. So, word of caution to parents. Although I'm really enjoying the book. Uh, so a lot of uh, literary advice along Woody, with can you uh, read? weekend planning. Can I'm, Woody ac read? I'm actually reading. I'm actually reading a book right now. We're having family reading time every night before we go to bed. We're trying to cut back on the television. There's a lot of family time as we're all locked. Uh, are in there any here. words in your book, Woody? Where do you sneak in your uh, crayons? What do you smuggle them in with? Well, okay. Like, I mean, normally family reading time would mean I would read Garfield to the youngest, but we've evolved a little bit here. I am reading the game. 
I oh, say, right on. It's been years since I've read it. Yeah. Um, I just finished it again. I know, because you had it for, through the Vegas Golden Knights uh, book club. Yes. Um, and I got to say, like, like this is, I mean, it, I shouldn't be ashamed of it, but it is embarrassing. I, I want to say, because my kids are just blown away, this will be the first book I've read in probably a decade. And as a writer, that should be embarrassing. But the reality is, <laughs> I read so much, like I'm constantly reading stories and articles every day, uh, deep dive features um, you know, profiles, things like that. Like I just, I read so much journalism over the years that I stopped reading books. Like it's a really bad habit. And so to get back into it and to have it be Ken Dryden and, and the game has been, uh, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm powering through. I'm actually going to finish this thing. Yeah. It's a book, uh, about his last season in the national hockey league, uh, put out the early eighties. So uh, a really good read. Uh, there's been numerous anniversary editions, and it's just it strikes me how the game's changed, but it hasn't changed a whole lot. Like the stories are pretty similar to the same stories you get now. So it it really does give you a look inside uh, a professional sports dressing room, a National Hockey League dressing room, for the that matter. Uh, thanks to Devin McConnell, and uh, looking forward to Paul Schoenfelder and Andy Kyoto uh, this weekend on the webinar on Saturday, ingoalmag.com. For more information on that, for David Hutchison and that, uh, that voracious reader himself, Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to Ingold Radio, the podcast. We'll chat with you again. 